Your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doin' Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Anthony Kelly and we will be speaking with him about police powers and looking at some research that Tamar Hopkins has um, prepared and and started compiling in regards to a survey about police complaints and looking at the lack of accountability in, um, in the police system. And indeed, we'll speak with him. He's from Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre, the Chief Executive Officer. Then after that, um, we'll be speaking with Yael, who is from the Australian Democratic um, Jewish Community. And we'll be speaking with her about a very special and important event that's coming up in December. And it's in regards to remembering Uncle William Cooper, who is actually a Yota Yota man and um, he is from the Australian Aborigines League and an elder of the Yota Yota and he led the only known private protest against the Nazi regime in, um, in 1938. So we'll speak um, about that and then after that we're going to be speaking with Pamela Kerr from the Refugee Action Collective and we'll be speaking, um, well she's actually has done a number of wonderful campaigns. Um, not sure if she's still from the collective, actually, because she used to be um, headed up with the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. And um, so we'll be speaking with her at 4.30 in regards to um, the, the children on Nauru and what's going to be happening, what's happened there. And obviously Scott Morrison, not just Scott Morrison, the, the actual government claims that the coalition government has got children out of detention on the mainland and is quietly getting children off Nauru. And we'll look at that policy and see if that policy is indeed a little bit flawed. We're going to go into an announcement now and, um, and we'll be speaking with, um, with Anthony shortly. Are you 18 years and over? Have you been stopped by a Victorian police officer or protective service officer in the last 10 years? Would you like to contribute to research that aims to inform law reform and litigation strategies to prevent over-policing? Go to policestopsurvey.online for more information and to take part. That's policestopsurvey.online, a 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And we're speaking right now with Anthony Kelly from Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre. Hello, Anthony. Welcome to the program. Hi, Marissa. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for, for coming on. And you, I'm not sure if you had access to... Did you just hear the announcement that was just played? Yeah, I did. That's great. That was one of the things I was hoping to speak about. Absolutely. So... Anthony, I'm wondering if you could just um, introduce yourself and just and, and t- uh, mention where you're from. Sure. So I'm the Executive Officer of Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre in Melbourne's Inner West. Uh, we run the Police Accountability Project, which is quite a unique 
uh, legal advocacy project. It does a whole range of things, but we focus in on uh, racialised policing, discriminatory policing, um, the policing of family violence and all the problems with that, and also um, the need for uh, independent investigation. So we, we cover a wide range of issues, uh, all to do with making sure that um, uh, we've got the best possible systemic and cultural um, positions for police accountability. Fantastic. And I was wondering if you could just comment on um, the research that's that's happened and about the, the strategy with the survey about complaints. Sure. Yeah, sure. So um, PhD candidate Tamar Hopkins, uh, many people will remember, was uh, the principal solicitor here at Flemington Kensington uh, for many years, since about 2004. And she was instrumental in forming the Police Accountability Project, but also um, uh, setting up for the um, race discrimination case that we took to the federal court in 2013 and that was settled in February of that year. Uh, she supported uh, initially 16 young men of various backgrounds in their, in their case against police for systemic racial profiling. Uh, and the, uh, the six young men that ended up in that case in, in February um, achieved quite a landmark an extraordinary outcome, a settlement with Victoria Police and the State of Victoria to review their um, uh, police stop practices and training and um, the way in which they um, have first contact with Victorian citizens. And it's quite an extensive review that they undertook. Uh, they came up with um, the first sort of um, internal ban on racial profiling or internal policy that, uh, that defines and bans racial profiling for any uh, police force in Victoria, in, sorry, in Australia. Yep. But, uh, and police also undertook to examine how they um, um, collect stop data, the data on who they stopped, and they've really since then they've failed to, take, to make much headway on that. Yeah. They haven't implemented um, stop and search receding across Victoria like we, we've been calling for. And uh, they haven't yet bitten the bullet and um, really delved into how they collect data on who they stop and why, and also how it's available transparently. They do collect lots of data on who they stop, but it's not, at the moment, it's not collated properly and it's not uh, publicly available. Right. So. Yeah, so Tamar's PhD is on racial profiling, and so this survey in some ways is to gather quite extensive data on the experiences of everyone who's been stopped over the last 10 years, uh, and whether the experiences are positive or negative or neutral, what have you. Uh, and through that data, it's quite extensive survey, through that data, um, Tamar and other researchers will be able to look at um, any discriminatory and racialised elements within the stop and search practices of Victoria Police. So, uh, so this will be very valuable data that yeah. the police themselves should be collecting, really, but they haven't been so far. And they, and they um, um, you know, ideally, the police should be collecting this data, and it should be tra it should be publicly available. But we're not quite there yet. Why hasn't that data been collected? What what's been the stop the blockage here? Well, there's, I think there's been lots of blockages. People um, have been, oh, so police themselves have been reluctant. Yeah. They've been citing technical difficulties and all these sorts of things, but we sure. know this data is collected routinely in, in the UK and in many places throughout the US. 
yep. and in Canada and so forth. So right. it is certainly possible for police to police to collect this uh-huh. uh, and to publicly report on it. Uh, we've we've provided them with quite a detailed research and policy positions about how this is uh, achievable. Uh, and I think there's been a political reluctance as well. It's not just technical. There's been a political reluctance to uh, be transparent about who they're stopping because they might be afraid of the, um, the what the data shows. Now, um, anecdotally, we know so many of our clients from a range of different ethnicities and communities uh, report being stopped multiple times and for no particular reason apart from their perceived ethnicity or their their race or their religion or perceived religion. So, um, and the the only data that we really have available from the police came through our race discrimination case, and that demonstrated that um, police in the North Melbourne area yeah. were um, stopping young men of African background right. 2.4 times more than their population numbers would suggest. And that's and what's notable about that figure as well is that the, that that population were underrepresented in the crime stats. So, um, so that so that demonstrated um, discriminatory uh, policing or racial profiling according to the international uh, benchmarks. And um, we think the figure is either that or even more in some cases in different regions around Victoria. And we really need the data to. Um, to prove it, and then we can really start responding to draw, you know, to not only reducing the amount of stops in the streets, but also uh, reducing the disproportionate and discriminatory nature of that practice. Yeah, look, it's been a bit of an uphill battle, hasn't it, Anthony? I, I mean, I believe that in Victoria alone, there's been there was the discrimination case, and I think there was a that was actually documented at the people's hearing, wasn't it? There was a lot of um, stories. That was some years ago now, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so there's no shortage of stories and documentation and testimony from people and their experiences of being stopped by police uh, so regularly it becomes normalised um, and also it, be- become, it changes um, social habits, it changes behaviour, it, cha- it has psychological you know, impacts and um, impacts on people's sense of belonging, of course. That's one of the things is that it feels like it's, um, the process of criminalisation is really um, has huge, huge a range of impacts on people's ability just to live their lives. And in, without wanting to disrespect individual candidates and focusing on, on the specific policies here of government, is there any support as far as those, a government policy is concerned? Well, it's interesting because both all the major parties support multicultural Victoria and support the concepts of multiculturalism and, and so forth. And yet, uh, when it comes to discriminatory policing, we have a major force, a major social institution in, the, in Victoria. Uh, in many cases, through their day-to-day contact with communities, uh, undermining that... Um, support for multiculturalism, undermining young, particularly for young people emerging into society, young teenagers um, uh, moving out of their sphere, their parents' sphere of influence for the first time, uh, engaging in the world in education and employment, uh, have to face a huge barrier of discriminatory policing, of being stopped and tr- treated like uh, treated with suspicion and treated as criminals by people in uniform who represent the state of Victoria. So. That's, that contradiction is really profound, and the major parties 
have utterly refused to recognise this to date. It's no good having um, policies which support and espouse the the benefits of multiculturalism and yet uh, refuse to engage with a, a widespread practice of discrimination which impacts so negatively on a whole range of of, um, Victoria's diverse communities. Absolutely. And I'm hoping that um, this research will actually uncover some more data so so that we can move forward on this. But really, we can do all the training in the world. We can give police all the training in the world. But at the end of the day, there there does need to be... um, you know, a, a fairer complaint system, a more transparent complaint system, system without police investigating police. That's right. Yeah. So, so it can. So the policies and practices are only as good as as far as they can be tested and measured and be held accountable when they're not adhered to. So Victoria Police have all these fantastic internal policies about treating people with respect and dignity and so forth. But when police abuse their power and commit human rights abuses, um, we don't have an accountability system that um, meets international standards, let alone our community uh, expectations. So a major arm of our advocacy work, and we work in a massive coalition for this, and it's something that community agencies and Indigenous organisations and human rights networks have been calling for for over four decades now, that um, there needs to be a, a well-resourced and effective independent body who can investigate serious complaints of misconduct um, by Victoria Police. Absolutely. And then we'll start to see a reduction of impunity and, and a rise in accountability. Let's, um, let's hope that that happens. So if people want to um, make a complaint or respond to Tamar's research, how can that happen? Well, so the police research, uh, it takes about 15 to 20 minutes, so you've got to sit down and dedicate yourself to it. And if, if you've ever been stopped by police for whatever reason, uh, it's worth filling out this survey because it provides really good da- data. You don't have to be a person of colour or representative of a particular community. Um, everybody, we want as much data as possible for this survey. If you just go to www.policestopsurvey, all one word, dot online, and spend about 15 to 20 minutes filling in the, the survey and it's incredibly valuable data so i encourage everyone to do that and aside from and also just about in terms of getting involved in the campaign what i encourage everyone to do is um, go to policeaccountability.org.au that website there's always lots of information there but down the bottom of every page you can sign up to our um you know the mailing list the newsletters and that keeps you up to date with campaigning with actions Fantastic. with a whole range of different things and if people don't have those literacy skills, are they able to ring the centre so that someone can yeah, help absolutely. them? Yeah, absolutely. And what's yep, is, is that number? Absolutely. So that's nine three seven six four three double five. Anthony, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Um, it's terribly important, isn't it, to keep this issue alive and um, keep up the good work. Absolutely. Thanks heaps, Marissa. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye bye. And that was Anthony Kelly, Chief Executive Officer of the Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre. And we've actually done some extensive interviews with the Police Accountability Project. And, um, yeah, I'm hoping that, that people can actually start start looking at um, possibly filling out that survey if it's relevant to them. I'm going to be playing a song now by Kutcher Edwards and it's called Side by Side. Mm-hmm. 
born into this majesty Pure serum pressed against her skin Golden jewelry her adornment Thoughtless beauty from within He was born with into poverty Desperation in his eyes Surrounded by a loving family Tending to his every cry All they ever wanted Was to be by each other's side With their family's blessing To which they were denied To which they were denied He recalls when he first met her How her smile lit up his heart He dreamt of them together Not knowing they were soon to part For he would give her roses Those roses were blooms Just like when he first saw Beneath the sacred gum tree They lay to rest or side by side All they ever wanted Was to be by each other's side With their family's blessings To which they were
you're back with the Doing Time show and we're speaking now with Yael from the Australian Jewish Democratic Society. Uh, we might have a little bit of a technical difficulty here. Not quite sure what's going on here. Um, I'll just put on an announcement. you got to remember, Nanox's a special day for us, fellas. That's a reminder who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcast. Happy NAIDOC! And you're back with the Doing Time show. Hello, um, yeah, yeah, welcome to the program. Hey, how you going? <laughs> we just had a few te- technical difficulties there. Thank you so much for your patience there. Um, just a correction on air. It's approximately four twenty-one. We're speaking with Yale from the Australian Jewish Democratic Society, and it's lovely to have you. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, awesome. You are live. You are on air. Just as a mm-hmm. friendly reminder. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Now, I'm wondering if you could just talk about remembering William Cooper. Um, can you just talk about just a little bit about what's happening at this very special event coming up in December? Yeah. So. Um, the whole event is about, um, it comes down to solidarity. Yeah. Um, so William Cooper was a Yorta Yorta elder um, and 80 years ago, almost to the day, yep. he he led a delegation in protest against what was happening in Germany towards the Jews um, just after Kristallnacht. Um, and, and it was later recognised as the only private protest towards um the only private protest of Crystal Nacht um, or Crystal Night. Um, so that was 80 years ago, and in not only was he was he um, did he protest against that, but he was very active and, and acknowledged as, as a um, fighting for Aboriginal rights at the time. Um, so the walk is about honouring his legacy, um, remembering what he did, and also to continue his struggle and stand in solidarity with um, Aboriginal peoples and for self-determination of Aboriginal peoples. Fantastic. And and also looking on the day, when is the day? What date and where is it? So it's on the 6th of December in the evening and it's kind of a few different events. So there's like the main, um, like the bigger one is going to be meet at Flagstaff Gardens in the city um, and then walk to Alexandra Gardens. And then there's actually four kind of pre-walks or feeder walks that's happening yep. before then. So the one that the AJDS, the Australian Jewish Democratic Society, is organising um, is going to be walking from Footscray, which is where from the house where he used to live and following his footsteps into the city. Fantastic. So that's on the on the on a Thursday night? Yeah. So with so it's at Footscray, so where does it start? It starts at the house that he used to live on, which is on Southampton Street. Right. So people can gather there? People can gather there. We're, we're going to be meeting there at 4.45. 
um, in the afternoon and heading off five o'clock from there. And what and website, the city. sorry, do people need to head to if they need to get all the details? Um, you can find it on, on our website, which is www.ajds.org.au. Um, and there's also uh, Walking Together. I think it's just walkingtogether.org.au. Fantastic. Um, you can find information about the whole. Oh, so the, so the, the kind of main, I don't know how to put it, but the That's main right. thing's organised by the William Cooper Legacy Project um, and together with a few other Jewish organisations, the Jewish Community Council of Victoria. Um, yeah, so that would, you can get information about them at the walkingtogether.org. Fantastic. So, so basically, as you like, you you touched on this. So, Uncle William Cooper was the secretary of the Australian Aborigines League, and and he's obviously yeah. passed away now. And we're we're actually going to be doing that in in honour of him, aren't we? In remembrance. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's an elder of the Yorta Yorta, isn't he? Um, yeah. and this is the protest, isn't it, against the Nazi regime? Yeah. That's that's fantastic, because I, I mean I think it's really important, isn't it, to um, to look at Aboriginal history. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess for for us as a Jewish organisation and Jewish people, it's uh, the the kind of history of, of of our two communities, so to speak. And um, yeah, like there's something pretty pretty amazing that the, the only known or the only recognised private protest against what was happening to the Jews in Nazi Germany was an Aboriginal man in a Yorta Yorta man in Melbourne. Um, so that, yeah, it's quite significant for us. And and um, so the, the William Cooper Legacy Project kind of maintains. So so, so uh, William, Uncle William Cooper's grandson, Uncle Boydie, he's involved in, in the Legacy Project. Um, yeah, which is really nice that kind of those generations down are maintaining maintaining these networks and relationships of solidarity. Indeed. And, you know, it seems to me that a lot of the time Nazism and the Jewish Holocaust has been largely ignored by a lot of people and a lot of people don't seem to want to acknowledge it. And this is actually a fantastic way to have solidarity, isn't it? Yeah. And we really welcome everyone to come along. And yeah, like you say, like it's I think it's really important for all people to show solidarity with each other. Um, so, yeah, we welcome everyone to come and join us. And Yeah. yeah. Well, look, that's great. Look, th- thank you so much. And I'm hoping to call to speak with Abe, um, who's from the organisation, I believe, for next week, yep. if I can get yep. – just so he can go into a bit of detail. But it's really lovely to have you just to, to advertise the event and talk about things, you know, briefly today. Yeah, really great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thanks a lot. Okay, thanks. Take care. Keep up the good work. You too. See okay, bye bye. And that was Yael, and she was um, from the Victoria. Um, sorry, the Australian Jewish um, Australian Jewish Democratic Society. And I'm just going to go into an announcement now. Um, but before I do that, just to expand on that, um, she was talking about a very special event coming up in in on the uh, in December. Um, speaking about Uncle William Cooper and remembering him um, as doing the protest against the Nazi regime. And it was a well-known, only known protest. And I'm just going to go into an announcement now and hopefully we'll be lining up Pamela Kerr. For 10 days in November, Defend and Extend's public housing will be campaigning on the steps of Parliament House 
to make public housing an election issue. Public housing, everybody's business. Join us anytime from Wednesday the 14th of November, that's midday the 14th of November, to Saturday midnight the 24th of November and put the spotlight on public housing this Victorian state election. Use Victoria's stamp duty revenue approximately $6 billion plus per year for public housing, house 1 million Victorians by 2029. Public housing, everybody's business. Join us, bring tea, bring coffee, bring cakes, bring food, bring your musical instruments, and most importantly of all, bring yourself and your sleeping bag. to remember nine of a special day for us fellas as a reminder who we are every year for NAIDOC week 3CR community radio gives voice to our indigenous brothers and sisters through beyond the bars Australia's only live prison broadcast I am a black black man NAIDOC means a lot to me it's about identity and also about past and present NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcast. Happy Nadoc! And you're back with the Doing Time show and we're going to be speaking now with Pamela Kerr who has done some extensive work with um, asylum seekers and refugees and we're going to be speaking with her about the terrible plight of children on Nauru and looking at some of those really um, pertinent issues in, in regards to some of, the, some of the policies, the government policies. Um, hello Pamela, welcome to the program. Hello, Marissa. It's lovely to have you. Now, Pamela, I'm wondering, yeah, if if you could just, um, I mean, listeners w- will know Pamela Kerr very well because you've been on our show over many years, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, yes, a few times, I think. Yes, especially when you were with the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. But um, I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about the background of, of children on Nauru. There was a recent media release, actually, in October, and there have been several afterwards put out by the Refugee Action Collective, and there have been quite a few um, blockages, you could say, in regards to the helping the children on Nauru. Could you talk about that? Uh, yes, and actually, um, we've yes. had just had some good news in the last few hours. Lovely. Three families are being released from the mitre today, thank God. Yeah. So um, it looks like this is a bit of a breakthrough for Victoria. As you know, the children have been brought down to Brisbane, uh, to Melbourne and to Adelaide. And um, many of them have been very, very ill when they've arrived and spent a couple of weeks in hospital. Um, But so far in Melbourne, they haven't been released to the community. They've been held out at the Mitre Detention Centre at Broadmeadows. And, you know, it's um, a place of uh, lots of fences. Uh, There are rules. Uh, There's um, 
food is delivered three times a day. Guards walk in and out of the rooms at um, 11pm and 6am to check, do head counts. Um, the children haven't been going to school, so it's a very um, unfriendly uh, institutional environment for children who've already suffered a lot on Nauru. So basically what's happening is is that the children are actually held in detention here in Australia and getting treatment at the hospitals and going back and forth to the to the Well, um, in Melbourne, because we've got this um, so-called family facility, it's a detention centre for families, um, they've been able to put them into the mitre, whereas in Brisbane and Adelaide, they don't have um, that facility, so they've been held under guard in motel rooms. Oh, under guard. Uh, that means they're not allowed to go out. Um, the guards were initially inside the rooms, but the children became so distressed by this that in the last few weeks the guards are now stationed outside the doors. But it's a very abnormal situation. And when you think these children are really breaking down after five years on Nauru, um, they really need a family environment where their parents are allowed to be parents. As it is, you know, the parents can't make any decisions for them. The guards make decisions as to when they eat, what they'll eat, uh, where they're allowed to play, when they're allowed to go out, when they're allowed to come in, all this. Um, the children need to be back in real families where their mothers and fathers are able to provide the food that's culturally appropriate, where the mothers can cook, where the families can be together and learn to be together as a family. It sounds like a prison. Well, it is really. Yes, it is. I mean, um, there's, there's, there's no other word for it. I mean, on Nauru... As we know, they were locked up in the detention centre on Nauru until very recently when they started to release people. And the last families I've talked to actually got released just outside the fence of the detention centre into um, the mountables across the road um, in, in an effort to say that the detention centre was closed. They went in some months ago and knocked it all down. But the people on Nauru were not really free. They can't leave Nauru. They don't have um, lifelong visas. Uh, they're, they're at the whim of the Nauru government. Um, and it's a, a lifestyle that has destroyed the children's spirits. Literally, the children have broken down. Oh, my God. They're, they're... That's terrible. Like, I mean, it's, and we yeah. need to remember that they're not transferred here because the government um, is listening to the doctors and acknowledging that the life that they provide for them in Nauru is destroying them. They're here because lawyers have gone into court and hard fought to get these transfers, and this is how we've achieved the change. And of course, the community. You know, even Australians who don't care too much about refugees, and we know that that is at least two-thirds of the population, they feel a bit queasy about the idea of locking up little children and babies and destroying their spirits and their physical health. And so 
that has been translated into um, political action because people are asking questions. The local members, the local MPs are getting harassed. Um, there are organisations that have grown up, like the Mums for Refugees, the Grandmothers for Refugees, Teachers, all these groups collectively are creating a groundswell of opinion which is changing the way that we, these children are being cared for. So with all that, Pamela, are they being treated in hospital? Like are they getting the medical treatment they need? Yes. Look, we've seen, we've seen a um, report. One child arrived by plane yeah. in such a terrible condition that the child had to be resuscitated on the tarmac and transferred to intensive care. Other children have arrived in... We're talking about children who have become physically unwell to the point where their lives are threatened. But we now believe that the government... There are... It may be around 18 children still left on Nauru. As you know, this is all secret business. Um, The government doesn't want us to know. So we're constantly um, investigating, checking, um, but we believe those children hopefully will be down in the next few weeks to Australia. But then my concern is, what about the adults? Are they not also human beings? And the men on Manus who have suffered so much, they've been carted back from the hospitals in Port Moresby while this um, APEC conference is on because they didn't want them there. And some of those men are really in a life-threatening condition. Absolutely. Which conference was that, Pamela? Um, what was, what's the... I'm so over politics. I That's okay. You. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Every time they get together, you know, the uh, was it the APEC conference? Oh, yes, the um, conference. Yes, yes, at Port yeah. Moresby, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, that's so another topic they, in uh, itself. We're but... all meeting and glad-handing each other and whatnot. Yeah. Of course, they got rid of the embarrassing, the embarrassment of the refugees. Oh, yeah. Now, I think the community, we as a community, and there's a lot of us now, We our numbers are gathering we have to keep up this pressure so that the men on Manus are transferred out of Manus. It is not a livable situation there. We've seen men die, we've seen men murdered, and we've seen men suicide. What more do we need? Um, the other issue is that the rest of the families on Nauru, we're talking about uh, 1,400 people on both places. Now, That is a number we could very easily accommodate in Australia. Some of them may be transferred um, to New Zealand or some may still go to America, although we think those numbers are drying up. Um, But at the moment, there is a medical emergency and they all need to come to Australia. So we're saying it's not just kids off, it's everybody off. This is a disastrous failed policy, the idea that you could lock up people on these islands in inhuman conditions and expect them to survive. And to also, you know, what what the media doesn't seem to also report here is that the, the coalition government is, is paying for these people to go onto Nauru. It's, it's offshore and 
they are responsible and accountable. And yet they've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on lawyers to fight children on Nauru coming to Australia initially. Yes, that's true. Every human being on Nauru earns 3000 Australian dollars per person per month for the Nauru government. The Australian government is paying, this is um, sort of phrased as a kind of yeah. visa, that we pay the Nauru government $3,000 per person. Now, you can imagine the Nauru government are not too keen to see people leaving. And that's what we've seen recently, where very ill people, where doctors have recommended their immediate transfer, and the Nauru government has refused to allow them the document to leave the island. Um, That seems to be fading now, maybe because the Nauru government realises that they will cop a lot of flack if people are dying because they won't let them out. But on Manus, you look island. It is impoverished with a very poor education and health infrastructure. The people are impoverished and yet there's bucket loads like literally billions of dollars have gone into the pockets of the um, Papua New Guinea administration. Um, yes. Where's that money gone? It, it's certainly not gone to the care of the refugees. Correct. And it has certainly not gone to build infrastructure in those impoverished islands. Absolutely. And, and in fact, we, we do need to bring them here. So, so how many children are in Victoria? It, I couldn't tell you the exact number because they're scattered through motels. Yeah, yeah over but Australia. out of the yeah. mitre, there were 19 children in detention there, possibly a few extra, Um, and there are three children who are not from Nauru. The two little girls from Bilawila have been in detention for months now, and also little baby Isabella, who was born in detention, and she's now seven months old. You know, the cruelty of it. Yes. We shook our heads when we saw what they did in the United States, separating families, but honestly, we are no better. We have separated families. A lot of those children who were brought down earlier were brought down with either a mother or a father and left behind was the other parent and the other siblings. So we also separated families. We've done worse. You know, it's we're a national disgrace, really. Yes, we are. We breach all the international human rights organisations, and this is eating into the country, the fabric of the country. Um, Nobody can be proud of the way we've treated these children. And then you think, you look a little further and think, well, can we be proud of the way we've treated Indigenous children? How many Indigenous children are locked up in prison systems across this country? You know, we have to wake up. Yeah. We do indeed, and in fact, you know... In solidarity, I mean, speaking about Indigenous youth as well, that there's there was a recent um, Dondale riot in inverted commas, yeah, yeah, and it's it's so horrible. Yeah, but you know we've got two elections coming up: the yes. Victorian election. It's a time to put pressure on the politicians and vote carefully, and the federal election. Um, also, 
you know, I no doubt you're educating people about the way to vote. Be very careful. Um, don't vote above the line. Vote below the line and tick five boxes. You don't have to tick every box. No. You have to tick five boxes. Otherwise, we could wind up with some very racist, ignorant, horrible members in our houses, um, in our government. Absolutely. There are some strange uh, bedfellows running in the, you know, people, this preference whispering stuff, a lot of people don't understand it, but it is a really dirty um, way of mishandling our democracy. So it's really important the way people vote. It is terribly important. And Pamela, thank you. That that was, I, I, I can't thank you enough for mentioning that. Um, because, you know, there, there is an election coming up and while we're not going to be obviously yeah. bad-mouthing candidates, we've, we've discussed policies and I think yeah. it's a very important issue that you've raised about voting carefully. Yeah, yeah. Know who you're voting for and know where the preferences are going. Fantastic. Pamela, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Um, if people want to know more, where can they go? What website? Uh, they can go to the Grandmothers, the Facebook uh, website for the Grandmothers, the Mums for Refugees. There's a big protest with the teachers coming up, um, and I've just forgotten. You'll know the date. Yep. Um, the teachers are doing a walkout at 2.30 in the afternoon from Victorian schools in solidarity with the children. I mean, these children should be in school. Um, there are some children who've been here for seven and eight weeks and nobody has got them in school when there are schools all around Broadmeadows who could have opened their arms to them. Absolutely, and it's very true. And indeed, um, if people want to know more about that protest, go onto the Refugee Action Collective website uh, or Google right. the Refugee Action Collective in Victoria. They do some great work and they have a meeting every Monday night as well. Um, we, you can have a look at all that. It's approximately 4.46. Um, Pamela, you've given, as usual, you've outdone yourself. Um, you've given a very, very um, concise um, background about children on Nauru and keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. And that was Pamela Kerr, who's a long-time activist and campaigner and did some wonderful work with the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. She headed that up um, for many years, and she's still um, working tirelessly for refugees and asylum seekers. And you're back with the Doing Time show. You're nearing the end of we're nearing the end of our show. It's approximately four fifty-two, and I'd like to thank all our guests for participating today. First of all, I'd like to thank um, Anthony Kelly from Victoria, Flem Ken. Community Legal Centre, and also thanking Yael um, from Victoria as well, and um, Pamela Kerr. We've all they're all Victorians today, um, and we will be back next Monday from four to five. Every Monday from four to five for the Doing Time Show, and I'm hoping to bring to you next Monday um, um, a researcher from the Multicultural um, Youth Centre. Um, and I'll speak more about that next Monday, speaking about um, some of the research that's coming out about the demonisation of young Sudanese youth and how they're being demonised to that they're in gangs and committing crimes and looking at some of those statistics. Um, but, yeah, it's approximately 4.53. Don't forget to see if you can rock up to 
um, the Remembering William Cooper event. Um, that particular event is happening um, in December. And I'll just quickly give you those details before we finish. We do have, it's approximately 4.53, sorry. We do have a couple of minutes. So I'll just quickly read you out um, a little bit of, of that blurb. So 80 years on, just to summarise, from William Cooper's protest against um, the na Nazi regime, we honour his memory and continue his legacy in standing up against injustice, never again. And as members of the Victorian Jewish community, we walk, we walk together with our friends and allies in remember, remembrance and appreciation of William Cooper and to reciprocate the march that he led on the German consulate in Melbourne on 6 December 1938, while world leaders watched in silent disbelief um, to the, the events of Chris or not, Uncle William Cooper the Secretary of the Australian Aborigines League and an elder of the Yota Yota, led the only known private protest against the Nazi regime. Um, so I'm hoping that people can can come to that. Um, I believe it's starting off in Footscray. Um, if on Thursday, the 6th of December, 2018, Thursday, the 6th of December, 2018 at 4.45 p.m. to 7.45 p.m. And um, that at, that's at, in, in, at 73, I'll give you the exact address here, 73 Southampton Street in Footscray Vic, 3011. And this particular event is um, being organised by the um, Australian Jewish Democratic Society and it's really important to acknowledge this very important Aboriginal elder and to also acknowledge um, what happened because often what tends to occur is that um, the Holocaust and indeed the Nazi regime are largely ignored um, by many, many people and it, and it is terribly important to, to look at that. Um, so yeah, we're going to be going out now with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella, um, from the Rumpy Band, and we've got Beyond Zero um, coming up next. Um, so stay tuned um, every Monday, as I said before, from 4 to 5 um, p.m. for the um, the Doing Time show. So it's goodbye from Marissa, and um, see you next week. Stay strong and stay safe.